guess we can just... Are we recording right now? Yeah. Oh. We have been the whole time? No, just no. Oh, okay. I just feel like it's easier to start an episode when we've already been kind of talking. I oh, know. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, um, if you guys know anything, we can get to cancel out some background noise, let us know. Yeah, because <laughs> it does sound pretty pretty loud. It's like we like drop a pin and it sounds like a fucking bulldozer going through the microphone. Yeah, I opened up a Coke and <laughs> it was so loud. <laughs> so yeah, sorry if you hear a bunch of background noise. We're trying to be silent here, but it's difficult. Yep. Oh well. Um, I guess until we can get better equipment, that's what we're working with. Yep. Okay, so uh, welcome to our third episode. Mm-hmm. This has been a, quite the journey. <laughs> hours and hours and hours and hours. And hours and hours <laughs> of stressing yeah. and recording. And we've literally had two episodes so far. Yeah. <sighs> if it's... I hope it's not like this forever. No, we'll get the hang of it. I feel like as, you know, as we get further along, we are doing better on timing, too. I do think so, too. So. I know we also like dilly-dally around, too, which is yeah. annoying. Oh, well. I mean, how long have you been at my house now? Like, three hours and we're just now getting started? Yes, but I edited <laughs> two of our episodes. Yes, that's right, you guys. You heard that. Yep. I just edited two <laughs> uh, rendered them. And um, after we get done recording this episode, um, we're going to go ahead and release all three of them, which you know that, considering you're listening to it. Um, But I do want to say that we are releasing these episodes with our unofficial image. Mm -hmm. Um, Still got somebody working on that. Yes, and it might take a little while, but we didn't want to keep you guys hanging for too long, so uh, we're using something... um, just temporary yeah and then uh whenever we get our new image we'll uh go in and change it yeah okay so Mm -hmm. uh, i guess let's get started um so i'm doing something on murder related Mm -hmm. um but it is still i guess true crime but it's also kind of spooky um and i'm pretty sure you've heard of it brooke it's called the watcher house Ooh, i love it Hate it. Love it. (laughs) I don't know which one. (laughs) I cannot imagine. It's super, super, super interesting, but creepy as fuck. Yes. Um, And I've seen in the group, um, there are a few people who listen to Morbid, and I don't know if I've seen anybody talk about, and that's why we drink, but I know both of them covered this at one point. That's actually where I heard about it. Mm -hmm. Um, Before that, I had no idea it existed super super creepy story guys it's about to get wild so (laughs) yes uh okay so let's start this off um so the year is 2014 in westfield new jersey uh derek and maria broadus bought a six-bedroom mansion for 1.3 million dollars damn can you imagine no i I can't (laughs) even wrap my mind around that uh, you know, I also looked at a picture of it, and it doesn't even look like a mansion to me. Right. Like, it has six bedrooms. It's a pretty house. It's pretty, but it doesn't look like a mansion. Right. It doesn't look like it's worth $1.3 million. It looks like 
a very nice house in an established community, you know? Yes, it does. Um, the mansion was built in 1905 and is roughly 3,920 square feet. See, I still don't... I don't think that's mansion. No, I don't think so. I mean, that's a big house. Yeah. But it's still not mansion size to me. Maybe they're just saying mansion because it's $1.3 million. I don't know. Uh, And it rested on half an acre of land. Yeah. If I'm going to spend $1.3 million, I'm going to have about 100 acres. Or at least an acre. (laughs) (laughs) I want a lot of land if I'm going to spend that kind of money. Me too. I would love to have a house with rolling hills and right. maybe a horse that I have someone take care of for me. I mean, we we don't even have quite two acres. You know, that's still a lot of yard. Your yard is big. It reminds me of my childhood home growing up. Yeah. Uh, we had like a... Well, your your front yard is uh, a lot bigger than mine was growing up, but the backyards... Um, I don't know. The backyard where I grew up was pretty big and it like went into the woods Right. that we never went in. Well, we did go into them, but we weren't Allowed to. Kind of like ours, like our fence walks off of, you know, almost to the highway. That's all our land. Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, it goes way back there. Wow. What are you going to so, do with it? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Throw brush back there when we cut shit down. <laughs> That's pretty much what it's being used for now. So. Um, <clears throat> okay, anyways. <laughs> Enough about that. Uh, this was supposed to be a nice and safe part of New Jersey. Uh, which would be perfect for raising three children. I believe I read it was in the top 30. That was next on my list. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. I'm, I'm just kidding. Go story. ahead. It's fine. No, but yeah, like what? Top 30 safest cities in the United States? Yeah. And uh, it was the 18th richest place in uh, New Jersey. Wow. Uh, and I think it's in the top 90s of the United States for wealth. Nice. Uh, okay, so uh, Maria was raised in Westfield while Derek grew up in a working class family in Maine. Uh, but he uh, he started working at an insurance company, mm-hmm. and um, after a while, he you know climbed the the ladder of uh, business or whatever, and <laughs> um, became senior vice president. Okay. So you know he can he kind of came from you know pretty much nothing to owning a one point three million dollar house which was a um, lifelong dream for Maria and Derek Broadus. Goat Broadus. Right. <laughs> okay, um, after a few days of moving in, Mr. Broadus spent the day working on the house. After a long day of hard work, hard work, hard work, mm-hmm. um, around 10 p.m., Mr. Broadus checked the mail, and inside was a letter addressed to the new owner. Um... I feel like in the article I was reading, he was instantly like, what the heck is this? But to me, like, if you're in a, like, a well-to-do neighborhood, I feel like that wouldn't be odd. Like, it'd be like a welcoming letter, like, welcome to the neighborhood. Right. We're all rich here. (laughs) Um, but as he started reading the letter, it started out innocently uh, dearest new neighbor at 657 Boulevard, allow me to welcome you to the neighborhood. But, uh, as we all could guess, it doesn't stay so sincere and innocent. Uh, 
657 Boulevard has been the subject of my family for decades now, and it, and as it approaches its 100... Oh, Jesus. Uh, and now as it approaches its 110th birthday, I have been put in charge of watching and waiting for its second coming. My grandfather watched the house in the 1920s, and my father watched it in the 1960s. It is now my time. Do you know the history of the house? Do you know what lies within the walls of 657 Boulevard? Why are you here? I will find out. Nope. <laughs> Big nope. Oh. Um, the letter also described how upset they were with the renovations being taken place within the house. Um, it says, I see already that you have flooded 657 Boulevard with contractors so that you can so that you can destroy the house as it was supposed to be. Tisk tisk tisk. Bad move. You don't want to make 657 Boulevard unhappy. Mm. Um, if this wasn't unsettling enough, the writer then talks about the broadest children saying, Do you need to fill the house with the young blood I requested? Better for me, was your old house too small for the growing family, or was it greed to bring me your children? Once I know their names, I will call to them and draw them to me. <laughs> and they spelled two as T-O-O. Mm. Um, the letter concluded with no hint of who the writer could be and that it wasn't going to be the last they would hear from them. Um, who am I, they wrote. There are hundreds and hundreds of cars that drive by 657 Boulevard each day. Maybe I am in one. Look at all the windows you can see from 657 Boulevard. Maybe I am in one. Look out of look out any of the many windows in 657 Boulevard at all the people who stroll by each day. Maybe I am one. Welcome, my friends. Welcome. Let the party begin. Signed, The Watcher. <laughs> oh, that makes my stomach turn. Me too. I just feel like the first mentioning of my children being young blood, <laughs> which let's talk about how um, that's not something that you hear every day. Yeah. Like, ha have you ever heard somebody refer to children as young blood? No. Me either. Never. Okay. Same. Um, okay. So obviously after reading um, that letter, um, it horrified Mr. Broadus and he ran into the house and turned off all the lights so that no one could see inside and then notified the Westfield police department. Um, an officer came to the house, and after reading the letter, he said, What the fuck is this? <laughs> Which I feel is just great. I feel like that'd be my reaction as a police officer, too. I would be super confused. Like, who does that? <laughs> like, who watches a house that's not theirs? Right. I don't know. Part of me would be hoping, like, this is a joke. Like, yeah, this that's cannot be for real. I just spent a million dollars on this home. Like, <laughs> to have my own personal watcher? No, thank you. Right. Um, so after meeting with the police officer, Mr. Broadus went back home to his wife, Maria, and informed her about the ominous letter. They decided to write a letter to the couple who sold them the house, John and Andrea Woods. Um, the Broadduses were informed that they had received the letter right before they moved, but it wasn't threatening, though it did mention the Watcher's family observing the house throughout time. Uh, the Woodses said that they had never received anything else odd the whole 23 years they had lived there, so they simply threw the letter away, which, um, why? 
I mean, even if I was moving out, if I got a letter saying like, well, we've been watching you for 23 years, I still would probably like call the police. Like, I don't like this. Yeah. Um, I just can't see like me getting a letter that's saying, hey, I've been watching you for 23 years yeah. and just being like, huh, odd. And then throw it away. Yeah. I would definitely be really freaked out. Right. Um, so the next few weeks, the Broadduses were on high alert um, with Derek even canceling a business trip. Whenever Maria took the kids to the house, she would yell their names if they wandered off too far. Um, at one point, Derek was giving a tour of the renovations to a few neighbors when one of them commented, it'll be nice to have some young blood in the neighborhood. <laughs> I just want to stop right there and say... If that is not the biggest fucking coincidence of Derek's life, I don't know what is. <laughs> or is it? Uh, I mean, like, I feel like because that is not, a f- like, a phrase that people use so often. Oh, yeah. I'm saying, like, is it a coincidence or is it not? Like, is that the person that's the watcher? Oh, yeah. That was sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um, also, what freaking neighbors want to see somebody's renovated home like if your neighbor was renovating the inside of their home would you be like hey let me see your renovations well i mean when we were doing our house like our neighbor from next door walked over and kind of peeked inside and was like you know i feel like that's kind of normal i don't know is it yeah yeah I don't know. I'd be curious. You know what I mean? Me too. But like, hey, new like... neighbors. Like, let's check out. Let me see what's going on. Not me. <laughs> I, mean, I probably wouldn't do that, but I don't think that's, like, abnormal for people to do. I guess it also could be, like, the neighbors came over and Derek's like, yeah, you want to see what I'm doing on the inside? And they could have been like, yeah, sure. Right. Not like, hey, can we take a peek? Legit, like, that's what happened there with my neighbors. Like, they... They asked to see the inside? Yeah. Were you weirded like, out by it? No, no. And, like, my not on Papa, the house there and now, mm-hmm. their neighbor, you know, came over and was kind of, like, just peeking around. You that know? is so weird to me. Sticking his head in the door. Oh, it looks great. I you would know? never. I don't know. That's so nosy. Y'all I mean... don't, don't do that, guys. Don't do it. <laughs> Okay, uh, um, two weeks later, Mrs. Broadus happened upon a second letter in the mailbox addressed to Mr. and Mrs. Broadus. Welcome again to your new home at 657 Boulevard. The workers have been busy, and I have been watching you unload carfuls of your personal belongings. The The dumpster is a nice touch. Have they found what is in the walls yet? In time, they will. Um... What does that mean? <laughs> Water in the walls. I know. Dead bodies? What is it? Skeletons? I would be tearing out every wall in that house. Yeah. The <laughs> hundreds of thousands of dollars I'm using as re- or towards renovations would be going to taking apart those walls. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but I guess it also could be metaphorical, like the yeah. history in the walls or whatever. Right. Who knows? This is a weird freak of a person. Um... The letter gets worse because the writer addresses Derek and Maria as Mr. and Mrs. Broadus by misspelling their last name and noting the three Broadus children by birth order and their nicknames. Because, you know, at first it was written to the new owner, Mm -hmm. so now they've learned their names and their children's nicknames. So they're close. Yeah. Or something. Something. (laughs) (laughs) Um... I am pleased to know your names now, and the name of the young blood you have brought to me. You certainly say their names often. 
The letter specifically asks about one of the three children whom which the watcher had been seen using an easel inside an enclosed porch saying, Is she the artist in the family? <laughs> Big nope. Mm-mm. Also, why? Okay, why is why is the watcher asking questions as if they're gonna write a letter back and be like, "Oh yeah, she is the artist." <laughs> I feel like I would have to, like, I would write a damn letter back and like put it in the mailbox or like tape it to the mailbox, like to the mm-hmm. watcher. What's up, dude? What's going on? Like, why are you watching me? <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, obviously, there's gonna be no other way to communicate this person. Yeah, I, you know I, mean? I didn't write this down, but I do know that, like, the whoever was um, sending the letters um, did send it through, like, the mail service. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I guess they could have, like, dropped it off in, like, a, one of those blue mailbox things. Mm-hmm. And then, even if they lived in the neighborhood, because that way it would seem less likely that, to be traced. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Or, like, if they were to just put it in the mailbox, they would obviously be seen. Well, and, you know, as the homeowner, like, obviously this person is watching, so they're going to see something taped to the mailbox to the watcher. You know what I mean? Yep. So, I I don't know. I feel like I would have security cameras quick. Yeah, they eventually do get some. Ah. Um, The letter continued saying, um, 657 Boulevard is anxious for you to move in. It has been years and years since the young blood ruled the hallways of the house. Have you found all the secrets it holds yet? Will the young blood play in the basement? Or are they too afraid to go down there alone? I would be very afraid if I were them. It is far away from the rest of the house. If you were upstairs, you would never hear them scream. Hmm. That's a threat, I feel. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's terrifying. Yeah. Um, so the letter continues, uh, will they sleep in the attic or will you all sleep or will you all sleep on the second floor? Who has the bedroom facing the street? I'll know as soon as you move in. It will help me to know who is in which bedroom. Then I can plan better. Ew. (laughs) Plan what? What are you planning? Um, all the windows and doors in 657 Boulevard allow me to watch you and track you as you move through the house. Who am I? I am the watcher. And have been in control of 657 Boulevard for the better part of two decades now. The Woods family turned it over to you. It was their time to move on and kindly sold it when I asked them to. I pass by many times a day. 657 Boulevard is my job, my life, my obsession. And now you are too, Broadus family. Welcome to the product of your greed. Greed is what brought the pass-through families to 657 Boulevard and now it has brought you to me. Have a happy moving in day. You know I will be watching. Ugh. Greed is what brought the... Uh, this person, just from reading that, um, like where it says, will they sleep in the attic? Who sleeps in the attic? Like, do did they renovate the attic to make it into bedrooms? Or is it seriously just an, an attic? attic? That's what... That's the thing that, like, uh, sticks out the most... Yeah. Will they sleep in the attic? <laughs> it's got to be like renovated bedrooms or something. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know how mansions work. I put my kids in the attic in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> and see, those seem to be the attic, the basement, and the second floor seem to be a lot of the main focus of the watcher. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, uh, after reading the second letter, letter, the Broadduses stopped bringing their children to the house in order to keep them safe, and then later decided they weren't going to move into their new home just yet. Or never. <laughs> that would have been my choice. Oh. Um, even though the Broadduses stayed away from the house, they still received a third letter. And all it said was, where have you gone to? 657 Boulevard is missing you. <laughs> no, thank you. Uh, the Broadduses initially wondered if someone uh, who had put in an offer and was rejected was trying to enact revenge by trying to scare them out. But the Woodses said that they had only had one other interested buyer uh, who backed out because they were diagnosed with something bad. <laughs> um, and then the other person who was interested uh, found a different home. Hmm. Like before... Uh, like the I guess the Broadduses put in an offer or whatever. Gotcha. Um, <clears throat> Andrea had suggested that maybe it was a neighbor that overheard conversations going on during construction. But the letters didn't indicate proximity. Uh, oh, they did indicate proximity. My bad. Uh, they had been processed in Kearney. I think that's how you mm-hmm. pronounce that. Um, the U.S. Postal Service's distribution center in northern New Jersey. The first was postmarked June 4th before the sale was public. So, like, before anybody knew about the sale Mm -hmm. of the house, um, the watcher had already postmarked that uh, letter. So they knew it had been sold. Yeah. But didn't know to who, necessarily. Well, maybe. I don't know. If this could... I mean, I don't know. It's just... It's very weird. This person knows so much, but yet they haven't spotted somebody watching this house. Like, my thought was always, like, could this have been, like, a pissed-off family member of theirs? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Or maybe they're hiding in the walls. (laughs) There is a case that I do want to do about a boy who literally lived in, like, the walls of this girl's house that he stalked. Oh, my God. Yeah, and he ended up, you know, murdering or I don't know if he did murder her or tried to murder her but either way that <laughs> really freaks me I'm out. like looking at my walls like how do you get in a wall <laughs> I, dude it was it was it was like a, I don't even know like an air vent or something I don't know Ugh. or not an it was like a, a or like attic space or something no it was like in her in the girl's bedroom that he was stalking there was I don't know like a door or a cabinet or something. I really don't remember exactly, but I'm, I'm going to cover it one day. Okay. Because it's freaky. Where was I? Okay, the Woodses, the Woodses had never put up a for sale sign. Um, and only a day after the contractors arrived. What? <laughs> um... Oh, okay. The sale was public and... You know what? Forget that sentence. (laughs) Obviously, I did something wrong there. Um, The renovations were mostly interior and people who lived nearby said they didn't even notice um, any unusual commotion, even though there was jackhammering going on in the basement. Mm -hmm. Um, When Derek and Maria walked Detective Lugo around the house, they showed him that the easel on the porch was hidden from the street by vegetation, making it difficult to see unless someone was behind the house or right next door. Mm -hmm. Sometime later, Derek was talking to a neighbor neighbor named John Schmidt, 
who lived just a few houses down from the Broadduses. He mentioned the Langford family in the neighborhood who lived between the Schmitz and the Broadduses. Peggy Langford was in her 90s, and several of her children, who were in their 60s, lived with her. Schmidt described the family as odd but harmless, um, and he also mentioned one of the younger Lingfords named Michael. He didn't work and was described as kind of a Boo Radley character. So, weird. Well, yeah, that's odd that your 60-something-year-old children live, live at home with you. Yeah, super weird. So, yeah. Um, later, I know Michael Lingford was dis- or, uh, diagnosed with schizophrenia. Okay. Um, so, I mean, I'm sure that could be why he's living with his mom. But I don't know about the, the others. others. Or maybe they're all just taking care of... Who knows? Um, since the Langford house was in seeing distance of the easel on the back porch, he thought for sure that they had figured out the identity of the watcher. The Langfords had lived there since the 1960s, which is when the watcher's father had begun the role of keeping tabs on 657 Boulevard. Mm-hmm. So, the dates match up. Yeah. When the Broadduses told Lugo about the family, he told them that he had already brought Michael in for questioning after the first letter, and Michael denied knowing anything about the letters. Uh, There wasn't much hard evidence, and and after a few weeks, the police chief told the Broadduses that there wasn't much the police department could do. Um, uh, This drove Derek into an obsession, and he began setting up webcams and spent nights crouched in in the dark waiting and watching to see if anyone was observing the house at close range. Wow. I would be looking in windows to see if people had, like, binoculars or something. Right. So I just kind of, like, copied and pasted this part from uh, the article that I used, which Mm -hmm. was... um... (laughs) I thought I had it written down. Oh, yeah, okay, it's... uh... The Cut, which I think was like a New York something or another. You can Google The Cut and then The Watcher House and it'll come up. But I just felt like the way that they worded this, I would not be able to word it any better. <laughs> so um, the Broadduses also turned to several experts. They employed a private in- investigator who staked out the neighborhood and ran background checks on the Linkfords. But he didn't find anything noteworthy. Derek reached out to a former FBI agent who served as the inspiration for Clary Starling in The Silence of the Lambs. Which, have you ever seen that? Mm, Bits and pieces. I don't think I've ever seen it. Um, They were on a high school board of trustees together. And they also hired Robert Linehan, uh, another former FBI agent, to conduct a threat assessment. Um... God, I hope I'm seeing that right. Lena, it's L-E-N-E-H-A-N. Sounds like it. Linehan. 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 Okay. Uh, Linehan recognized several old-fashioned ticks in the letters that pointed to an older writer. Uh, the envelope was addressed to M slash M Broadus. The salutations included the day's weather, warm and humid, sunny and cool for a summer day. And the sentences had double spaces between them. The letters had a certain literary... Oh, God. I meant to look up how to say that. <laughs> it's spelled P-A-N-A-C-H-E. P-A-N-A-C-H-E? Mm-hmm. I do not know. Panache. Panache. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. 
What if that's it, really? Panache. And we're over here making fun of it. Um, so basically it looked like old-timey. Yeah. Of. And it uh, suggested a vorcarious reader, so I guess someone who really reads a lot. Sounds like they're well-read. Yeah. Um, and a surprising lack of profanity given the level of anger, mm-hmm. which Linehan thought meant a less macho writer. Maybe he wondered the watcher... Maybe he wondered the watcher had seen the watcher starring Keanu Reeves as a serial killer who stalks the the detective trying to catch him. Okay, the cut. Um, Linehan told the Broadnesses that they that they didn't think the watcher was likely to act on the threats, but the letter had enough typos to to suggest that the writer was erratic. Uh. I feel like that's very um, counterproductive thing to say. Yeah. Like, we don't think it's likely they'll act, but um, all the, the typos suggest that the writer was erratic, and you can't really predict erratic people. So right. There's why, a lot of anger in these letters. Yeah. The next thing I wrote was uh, they also identified that the writer had an anger for the wealthy and that they were upset about new money moving into town and by the renovations happening with it with inside of 657 boulevard uh one of the letters had said uh, uh the house is crying from all the pain it's going through you have changed it and made it so fancy you are stealing its history it cries for the past and what used to be in the time when i roamed its halls the 1960s were a good time for 657 Boulevard when I ran from room to room, imagining the life with the rich occupants there. The house was full of life and young blood. Then it got old, and so did my father. But he kept watching until the day he died, and now I watch and wait for the day when the young blood will be mine again. And so this guy has been in this house. Like, I don't understand why it's so hard to track this person down. You yeah. know what I mean? I mean, unless it's just all made up. Right. You know? The thing about that, though, is, like, it. so the person was inside the house, and the father watched the house while the watcher is a kid, which, to me, seems like maybe the dad and the grandfather both, like, worked at that house, but necessarily weren't actually the watchers of the house, like this weirdo. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, maybe this person has, like, some court, some sort of, like psychosis or something that makes them I don't know like they they want to do what their their father and grandfather did but see, they can't I just I feel like that would not be that hard to track down yeah see I feel you the know? same way it's bizarre um the the detectives or whoever the heck told them that um they should look into past like servants and people who have like lived and worked at the house. Well, how old was the house? Um, it was built in 1905, so in 2000, 110. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so after all that, the Broadduses were still focused in on the Langfords, and with the help of the Westfield police, they sent a letter to the Langfords acting as a flyer, um, as if they had sent it to everyone in the neighborhood, indicating that they were going to t- going to tear down the house. The thought process was that if, like, the Lankfords were the only people to get mm-hmm. um, that flyer, <clears throat> and then they got a letter detailing how they were not, the watcher was not okay with the house being torn down, then they would know that it was the Lankfords. Right. 
which to me also kind of sounds like flawed logic because i mean i feel like if the watcher is watching everything the broadestes do then they would be watching and seeing that nobody else got this flyer right hmm i don't know so what happens after that (laughs) (laughs) um nothing ever came of it the langfords are i guess the langfords never said anything about it and then the watcher never said anything about it so that kind of well that rules them out pretty much yeah, maybe, unless the Watcher was like, I know this game. Or they should have, like, sent them to everybody in the neighborhood, you know? But then they wouldn't have known which... If it was the Langford, right. But if you only send it to so many houses, that does narrow it down and tells you, well, it's not a random person. True. It's somebody close by. True. I don't know. I should be a detective. <laughs> <laughs> um... So there were reasons to consider other suspects. Uh, the police spoke to Michael before the second letter was sent, which would make sending two more especially reckless, which I feel like if you're an erratic person, yeah, then you're not thinking like, I'm being reckless. You know what I mean? Right. Um, then there was the rest of the neighborhood to consider. The private investor- investigator found two child sex offenders within a few blocks. Um, Bill Woodward, the Broaddus' house painter, had also noticed something strange. The couple behind 657 Boulevard kept a pair of uh, lawn chairs really close to the Broaddus' property. Um, And the uh, Bill Howard said, one day I was looking out the window and I saw this older guy sitting in one of the chairs. He wasn't facing his house. He was facing the Broadduses, which is super weird. Yeah, that's weird. <coughs> Excuse me. I mean, sorry. unless, like, you're tanning and, like, the sun's shining that way. Like, I don't know. I mean, do I, I just can't see, like, an old, wealthy man sitting very far down his property. Right. Staring at another house. I mean, and he said he was staring at the house. Which I feel like if you were sunbathing, you'd have, like, sunglasses on, and then he wouldn't be able to tell that he was looking at the house. I don't know. So after a few weeks of deciding whether or not they wanted to sell the house, the Broadduses got another letter. And it read, 657 Boulevard is turning on me. It is coming after me. I don't understand why. What spell did you cast on it? It used to be my friend, and now it's my enemy. I am in charge of 657 Boulevard. It is not in charge of me. I will fend off its bad things and wait for it to become good again. It will not punish me. I will rise again. I will be patient and wait for this to pass and for you to bring the young blood back to me. 657 Boulevard needs young blood. It needs you. Come back. Let the young blood play again like I once did. Let the young blood sleep in 657 Boulevard. Stop changing it and let it alone hmm. it did say let it alone in yeah. okay so six months after buying the house the broadduses decided to sell 657 boulevard they put it up for more than what they paid for considering they spent you know over a hundred thousand dollars on renovations yeah uh but obviously people didn't really want to buy a house that um was being stalked by an unidentified person 
Yeah. Um, and the Broadduses had put in a partial disclosure mentioning the letters. Mm-hmm. And if there was, um, like, an interested buyer, I think I read that, um, like, once they purchased the house, they would let them read the letters. So they mentioned the letters to buyers. And then if you were actually going to buy the house and then you did buy the house, they would show them the letters, I guess. I feel which like is... that's kind of fucked. Like, no. Like, I want the letters before I pay for this house. Well, I'm sure they were like, hey, we've been getting these super weird, you know, uh, letters. And I I think, obviously, they, they, because um, they did get mad at the Woodses because the Woodses didn't, you know, disclose the... um, Yeah, that letter. Yeah, the letter that they got to them. um, And they they had sent in, like, some kind of, like, complaint like a civil complaint or mm-hmm. something like that because they felt like they needed to know that information. And so I guess the Broadduses wanted to make it apparent to other people that were trying to buy the house, that there was something weird going on, which I feel like is the right thing to do. Absolutely. So here's some theories. Um, a lot of the neighbors in the local community believed that the watcher was a hoax in order to sue the former residents of the house. In order to, to sue them? Yeah. Like, so that the Broadduses would sue them? So, yeah. So, basically, what they're saying is, like, so the the uh, Woodses never got any kind of letter until they were about to move out. Uh-huh. And, you know, the, the uh, letter was postmarked. The day before the house went on sale publicly. Uh-huh. Um, so what people think is that, like, the Broadduses sent the Woodses the letter. Oh. And then they moved into the house. <clears throat> they bought the house, moved into it. And started and then, sending letters to themselves. Yeah. Wow. In order to sue the Woodses, I guess, for money. Wow. Hmm. That's an interesting theory. Yeah. Um, the Broadduses also put in a proposal to the local uh, council to, to demolish the house and to build two smaller houses on the property, but were ultimately denied their application. A lot of people believe that the couple used the watcher as a hoax to gain sympathy from the community so that they could demolish the house and build other houses on the property and Ugh. sell it for more money. I hope not. Yeah. Um, others <clears throat> pointed out to this probably probability by focusing folk oh my god can i can i talk can i (laughs) no am i broken today you you can't talk (laughs) uh others pointed out to this probability by focusing in on the 12 different mortgages the broadduses have had uh really yeah that's so they've owned 12 homes i guess so why do they keep moving i don't know maybe they already had the watcher it just follows them everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Uh, after being denied their application to the local council, they resorted to renting the house out for an amount of money that didn't cover their mortgage. Mm. So, I mean, if it was a hoax, they kind of f themselves by. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, two and a half years later, the Broadduses received a fourth letter in the mail. 657 Boulevard survived your attempted assault and stood strong with its army of supporters barricading its gates. My soldiers of the Boulevard followed my orders to a T. They carried out their mission and saved the soul of 657 Boulevard with my orders. All hail the Watcher. Hmm. It's still um, unsolved. They don't know who the Watcher is. 
But five years after purchasing the house, they were finally able to sell it for $959,000 pretty much. Hey, I would take what I could get. Yeah. I mean, it sucks, but... That's a lot less. That's a big loss, but... I mean, what are you going to do? You're not going to live there. Mm -hmm. You know? I mean... I do think it is weird that the Broadduses are really the only people who have ever gotten the letters. Mm -hmm. Um, So, do you know if the new owner has received any letters? uh, I tried to Google it. I couldn't really see anything about it. I feel like I saw that they hadn't been getting letters, but... So strange. Yeah. I Part of me hopes it's a hoax, you know what I mean? Because how creepy is that shit? Part of me, yeah, wishes But then, too. like, either way, like, somebody is has a really fucked up head. Like, the Watcher or the Broadduses one. <laughs> like, right. Whoever this person is. I do know that Maria, <clears throat> Mrs. Broaddus, was diagnosed with PTSD. From this whole? Yeah, and would not... Um, get better until they they sold the house or they got yeah. away from it um, which to me I feel like PTSD is not something you can really fake but then yeah. again maybe it's not PTSD because of the watcher but because of like you know if it is a hoax I'm sure the stress of that and like the fact that your neighbors are kind of turning against you and being like this is a this isn't real yeah. like you're lying about it to you know gain sympathy from us so that you can destroy the house and build two other houses also it's like to me that's a weird thing too like why do you want to destroy like after spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on renovating it why do you want to destroy it and build two smaller smaller houses houses. on a half acre lot yeah yeah if i were the neighborhood i'd be against that too yeah that i mean that doesn't make but that doesn't make any sense like why would you do that right I don't know. What if Maria doesn't know that it's a hoax? Who knows? Um, they did find... Um, <clears throat> sorry. They did find DNA on one of the envelopes, mm-hmm. and they tested it uh, to Maria, and it was not her DNA, and they tested it to um, one of the Lankford sisters, mm-hmm. and it was none of the Lankfords. Mm-hmm. So um, that's weird. Yeah. It was woman DNA, so oh. a woman had to have been doing it. So the watcher is a woman. Yeah. Wow. So that does make it more believable, I feel. Well, I mean, the way things were worded and the fact that this was probably an avid reader, mm-hmm. that's most likely female. And and the fact yeah. that there wasn't a lot of like violent threats and profanity, that makes more sense to me. When I first heard this story, I thought it sounded more like a woman. Yeah. But, uh, I don't know. But the thing that kind of made me think it was a a man is because she said my father and his, and and my grandfather. So it seemed like a line of men. Like a generational thing. Yeah. But, I mean, I guess if she didn't have any. Sons. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Also, I think a lot of people thought it was Mrs. Linkford, the 90-year-old woman. Wow. Because, I mean, um, she, you know, that she would be the next generation from her father. Yeah. So. And it would make sense for her to have that style of writing, too, at her age. Yes. And um, it could be why all her kids live in her house with her, too, because she's got to, you know, pass it on to somebody. But it didn't match her DNA. No, nope, it didn't. 
but she does that family does make a lot of sense i i don't necessarily think it was them but yeah so many theories Hmm. yeah (laughs) well uh, i guess we're done with that do you want to pause and smoke let's do this we'll be back And welcome back. Hello. <laughs> All right. So we'll just delve right into this real quick. Um, so today's story should come as no surprise to anybody that knows me, even a little bit. Oh. Um, this is a story that is a very, very dear to my heart. Right. Um, this story is about my first ever crush. I still remember sobbing like a baby at oh, seven no. years old when he passed away because I was going to marry this beautiful man. Um, since I was a child, I've been completely enamored with him and his music. Mm-hmm. Um, this person is a, still, years and years later, a huge musical influence and icon yeah. for everyone. Um, not everyone, but you know what I mean. For a lot of people and a lot of musicians. Mm-hmm. Um, today I will be talking about the absolute legend, frontman of Nirvana, Kurt Cobain. <laughs> I knew this was coming. Oh eventually. yes, you knew. You knew. Gotta do it. I'm stoked. All right, so Kurt Donald Cobain was born at Gray's Harbor Hospital in Aberdeen, Washington on February 20th, 1967 to Wendy Elizabeth and Donald Leland Cobain. Can you believe he'd be 53 years old? That is crazy to think. 53 years old. Because I know, like, when you think about Kurt Cobain, he's always... Young. Young. Yeah, because he never 27. Old. Yeah. He's 27 forever. That's sad to think about. Oh, 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 oh. That's my man, y'all. Sorry, Aaron. Love you, baby. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Kurt was of Dutch, English, French, German, Irish, and Scottish descent. Straight up white boy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, he had a yo- uh, one younger sibling. Um, her name was Kimberly, and she was born in April of 1970. Um, Kurt's entire family had a musical background. He had several aunts and uncles who were all musicians. Mm-hmm. Um, he was described as being a happy and excitable child who also was very sensitive and caring. He was just super empathetic, um, just sensitive. Yeah. Good kid. Um, His talent as an artist was evident from the time he was very, very young. Um, He would draw his favorite characters from films and cartoons. Mm -hmm. Um, His paternal grandmother encouraged his artistic side because she was a professional artist. I didn't know that. So lots of family with a lot of talent. Yeah. Um, He also began showing his musical interest at a very young age. And according to his aunt, Mary, Mari, I'm not sure exactly how to say that. um, He was singing at the age of two. Oh, I know. At age four, he started playing the piano and singing. Playing the piano at four years old. That's insane. That That is super impressive. Prodigy level. Right. Isn't that amazing? 
Um, the Beatles were a huge influence on Kurt. Mm-hmm. He was also a fan of 70s hard rock and heavy metal bands like Led Zeppelin, ACDC, Black Sabbath, Aerosmith, Queen, and Kiss. Um, as a teenager, he became a huge fan of the Sex Pistols. So, super into rock music. Um, when Kurt was nine, his parents divorced. Um, that divorce had a profound impact on his life. You got to think nine years old. That's kind of a pivotal time. Oh, for sure. I mean, I'm sure that would destroy anybody. You yeah. hear your daughter still there. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that just kind of broke him. Um, his mother said that his personality changed dramatically at that time. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Poor he, buddy. He became defiant and withdrawn. Mm-hmm. Um, what is going on right now? <laughs> My kid's doing something crazy downstairs. Sorry. Um, both of his parents found new partners after their divorce. Um, his father had promised him that he would never remarry, but he did. You know, I guess. I'm sure that was just to be like, it's okay. It's all right, buddy. Like, I won't ever get married again. Right. You know. Until you get over it, pretty much. (laughs) Was it, like, soon after the divorce? So, I'm not really sure how soon this was. Um, But he did, his father did end up remarrying. And um, he and his stepmother had and her two children, oh, I'm sorry, Mindy and James, moved into a new house together. So Kurt, um, his father, his stepmother, and her two kids moved into a house together. I wonder why together. he didn't move in with his mom. Mm-hmm, we'll kind of get into that. Oh, okay. um, in the beginning, Kurt adored his stepmom, um, and she gave him all the maternal attention that he wanted. So well, that's they were good. super duper close, and he was excited. Like, I get this new second mama that I just love. Right, but you said at first, right? At first. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then in 1979, January of 79, um, Kurt's father and his stepmother had a new baby boy. So that kind of, you know, Kurt's a young child, and he's this only, you know, son. And then, no, no, he did have a brother, but I guess he was, like, you know, the oldest. So, that was a big deal. He, they had a new baby boy, and shortly thereafter, he started showing a lot of resentment towards his stepmom. So, Wait, didn't time. he have a sister, too? He had a, well, no, she had a sister. She had, <laughs> stepmom had two children, Mindy and James. So, but yeah, Kimberly. Kimberly was Kurt's sister, yes, but she wasn't living with dad. So he's upset just because his dad had a new baby. Another baby baby boy, right, right. Oh, another baby boy or just another child in general? I probably the boy thing bothered him, you know, because he was like his dad's only son. Son, yeah. And now he has this new boy. There's that bond, yeah. I could see that. He had a hard time with it, right? Um, Kurt's mom was dating a man who was abusive and. Kurt witnessed the domestic violence um, and with one up with those incidences resulting in her being hospitalized with a broken arm. Oh my gosh. So yeah, he was dealing with that on one hand and then dealing with, you know, with this new yeah. baby. Um, his mom refused to press charges and stayed in that relationship. Don't they all? I know. Poor thing. So, yeah. It's a lot for a kid. You know? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, around that t- time, he started behaving disrespectfully to adults and showing a lot of rebellion so at school things like that just kind of 
you know, kind of an outcast, kind of a jerk to the teachers. Right. Kind of thing. So seems he, like a normal uh, behavior for a child kind right. of going through it. Exactly. Um, so fast forward a little bit, I believe, to high school. Um, Kurt befriended a gay kid and he suffered some bullying himself because of mm-hmm. being friends, friends yeah. with this gay kid. And so other kids believed that he was also gay. Um, in a later interview, he said that he liked being associated with a guy with a gay identity because he didn't like people. And when they thought he was gay, they left him alone. <laughs> Same. Right. <laughs> like, I'm just going to act like I'm gay so people don't talk to me. Um, he stated in a later interview that, um, and I quote, I started being really proud of the fact that I was gay, even though I wasn't. Um, he was always just very different, you know, just yeah. wanted to be just not like everybody else. And that's what right. I just, I love. Yeah. Um, he also claimed to be, and I quote, gay in spirit and probably could be bisexual. One of his personal journals states, I'm not gay, even though I wish I were just to piss off homophobes. <laughs> <laughs> He's fucking awesome. Yeah. Love this man. I actually don't really know that much about him. <sighs> I never even really listened to Nirvana. Oh, my God. So Stop I never it. Really <laughs> well, you're going to be in love by the time this is over, so. I've listened to some uh, ep- like podcast episodes about him, but um, yeah. like I feel for him, but I, I just was never... A fan, so I guess it doesn't affect me yeah. the same way it affects you. Well, this is kind of another one of those cases, like, you weren't even born yet. I mean, were you? I mean... <laughs> uh, if he died no, you weren't. before 96, then no. No, no, he died in 94, so yeah. This is before your time, really. You know, I feel like there are people your age that are fans, but... Oh, I mean, I know a lot of people, like, I have... Elena. Yeah. She has a Nirvana tattoo, Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I have a couple Nirvana tattoos, guys. Just saying. Do you? I do. Yeah. The one on my ribs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my ankles. Yeah. And my ribs say I'm not like them, but I can pretend. I had no idea. Yeah. Which is a lyric. I'm also going to get the In Utero Angel. That's one of my big... If you, in Utero is an album oh, okay. by Nirvana. <laughs> but um, it's got a like a anatomically correct angel. It's got like... You can see like all the like organs and stuff in her. Oh, and wow. then she's got wings. I'm going to get that on That'll the back dope. of my leg. Yeah, yeah, it's really badass. I'll have to show you. Okay. So, you got a lot to learn about this, girl. I'm going to get <laughs> okay. you into Nirvana. It probably <laughs> won't happen, but it's just not my type of music. Even mm. though I respect it, because I know <clears throat> well, I mean, a lot came from it. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they were like the grunge band. That, mm-hmm. Like, you know, a lot yeah. did come from it. And a lot yeah. of, like I said, a lot of artists still to this day you know oh yeah for sure are influenced by nirvana. i know a few songs i listen to reference nirvana mm-hmm. like actual the band actually not just yeah. nirvana in general absolutely um so kurt described himself as being feminine in childhood and mm-hmm. he often wore dresses and other feminine clothing like I said, just always different. Yeah. You, know? you said when he was a kid he did that? Yeah. And an adult. Like, if you look at pictures of him, like, I've so seen adult often, pictures yeah, of him. He's wearing dresses. He's like, I give no fucks, you know? I mean, he's ahead of his time. He absolutely sure. was. He was very progressive. Yeah, for well, sure. I, I mean, this is the 90s, so, you know, I feel like things were kind of stepping up a little bit. Yeah, um, I don't know. Yeah. I really don't feel In like... In that particular scene, you know what I mean? Like, the grunge scene. The grunge and, scene. Yeah. Um, so, you know, 
he's befriended this gay kid. He's having a hard time. He's being rebellious. Um, so his dad decided that he would take him to a therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, the therapist concluded that Kurt would benefit greatly from a single family environment. So on June 20th, 1979, um, Cobain's mother was granted full, or I'm sorry, Cobain's mother granted full custody to his father. So Kurt's overwhelming. I'm doing the same thing you're doing. (laughs) Kurt's disrespect and rebellion became too much for his father to handle. So he ended up placing him in the care of of family and friends. Oh, that's really sad. It is sad. It's like people just abandon him. Yeah. Mom doesn't want him. Dad doesn't want him. And I'm sure that adds to the anger and the sadness he feels because his dad has a new son now. So he's basically just replacing him. Yeah. Yeah. I... That's always been a huge thing for me. Like the interviews you watch with him and, you know, his live, you know, concerts, like you can just feel the pain. Like mm-hmm. he was just such like a just emotionally damaged person. You know? See, like artists like that, mm-hmm. it it's hard for me to like listen to them because I feel it so much. It depresses you. Yeah. Like even if this song isn't. Depressing. Yeah. You know, you can still feel, like, what's behind it. Oh, God. There's so much emotion. Like, if you watch, like, his very last concert, Unplugged, I mean, it's insane. Just the emotion. Yeah. It's, yeah. All right. So, where were we? So, he um, placed Kurt in the care of family and friends. Um, While living with a born-again Christian family, um, this is the family of his friend Jesse Reed, Mm -hmm. he became a devout Christian and regularly (laughs) attended church services. Oh, wow. Yeah. The song Lithium is about his experience while living with the Reed family. He later abandoned Christianity. Yeah, I figured. (laughs) Yeah. Um, as a teenager, Kurt eventually found solace in going to punk shows in Seattle. Um, that was huge for him. He felt like he fit in for once. You know. Yeah. Um, during his second year in high school, Kurt began living with his mother in Aberdeen. Two weeks prior to his graduation, he dropped out of high school upon realizing that he didn't have enough credits to graduate. And what if done the same thing? <sighs> that sucks. Yeah. You know. Um, his mother offered him two choices at that point. She said, either get a job or get out. Oh, my God. Yeah, so here we go, getting abandoned again. Parents are so cruel. Mm-hmm. After one week, <clears throat> his mother kicks him out. That's not enough time to find a job. Right, even to have an interview. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, a lot of times people, you, you fill out applications, you have to go through that process of waiting yeah. a few weeks to hear back. She gave him a week, packs his, he comes home to his bags packed. Isn't that heartbreaking? So it wasn't really an ultimatum. It was more of a, I want you out. So. I'm just pretending there's an old ultimatum yeah. so that when I do kick you out, it won't be my fault. Exactly. Um, so Kurt claimed during that period of time, um, he was homeless. He lived under a bridge over the, un- or I guess under, or yeah, well, no, over the Wishka River. An experience that inspired the song Something in the Way. So he was living under a bridge or over a bridge. Like, <laughs> On under a bridge, a bridge <laughs> over the river. Okay. <laughs> I mean, how do you live like that? Okay, whatever. Over the bridge, under the river. 
under the river. He was living under the river. Oh, God. Uh, in late 86, he moved into an apartment approx- approximately 20 miles north of Aberdeen. Um, during this period, he was traveling a lot to Olympia, Washington to go to rock concerts. Um, he also dated several women um, in the same type, time period. Mm-hmm. I won't really go into them a whole lot. Um, while hanging out at a friend's house, he met Chris Novoselic, a fellow devotee of punk rock. A few years later, Cobain, I don't know why I keep calling him Cobain, but that's how they had things. But Kurt tried to convince <laughs> Novoselic to form a band with him by lending him a copy of a home demo recording of some of his music. After months of asking, Novoselic finally ad- agreed to join Kurt, forming the beginnings of Nirvana. Do you go into why they named it Nirvana? Yes. Okay. <clears throat> Religion appeared to remain significant to him during this time, and he used a lot of Christian-related imagery in his work. He developed interest in Buddhism. The band name Nirvana was also taken (laughs) from the Buddhist concept, which Cobain described as freedom from pain, suffering, and the external world. That's sad. Well, that's exactly what Nirvana is, you know? But it's, it's actually a that, pretty word, though. No, it is a beautiful word. Yeah. But it's sad that he felt the need to, yeah. you know, that the band Nirvana is his Nirvana. Like, it's yeah. his escape from... Reality. Yeah. Yeah. That's just sad. Mm-hmm. But I guess all best musicians are just sad people. <laughs> so sad. It seems that way, doesn't it? Yeah. I think fame gets to you, man. I really do. Well, you know, I mean, gotta be a hard. He was to deal with. sad even before well, then. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. I feel like you have to have something sad in your life to become famous. Like a famous musician, yeah. Um, Kurt and Chris hired Dave Grohl, who helped them help them record their 1991 major label debut, Nevermind. You know who Dave Grohl is. <laughs> no. No? <laughs> Foo Fighters. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's the front man for Foo Fighters. That was oh, formed after Nirvana. Cool for him. Yeah. You know, do you know Foo Fighters? <laughs> I mean, I cannot name you a song, but I <laughs> do know. <laughs> like, if, if I, I mean, like, if you played me probably some of their hit songs, I would yeah, be like, yeah. You would. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, did I mention that... He helped them record their major label debut. Never mind. Yes, you did. Okay. All right. All right. I thought I did. So that was a very, very popular album. Right. Um, with Nevermind's lead single, Smells Like Teen Spirit, Nirvana entered the mainstream, making grunge rock extremely popular. So they're a big deal now. Smells Like Teen Spirit. That sounds familiar. Oh, my God. I could just... <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> sounds familiar. Dude, Okay. Uh, I grew up, in, like, me and Scotty talk about this all the time, you know, like, he got into Blink-182 at a very young age, because your dad had a Blink-182 album. And that's how I got into Nirvana. Yeah, and my parents, growing up, we listened to country music, <laughs> and 104.7 The Fish, which, if you uh-huh. don't live locally to us, it's a Christian. Christian. Yeah. And so I really didn't start branching out into music until probably late middle school mm-hmm. like when i discovered like paramore and flyleaf and like right. that kind of music so i never got the upbringing of like because you know scotty got slipknot uh-huh. and 
Oh, yeah. Probably. He, well, he even knows a lot of the music that we, you know, and, and that I was listening to when I was a kid. Yeah. Because we grew up with our dad listening to rock yeah. and to grunge. He was very big into the alternative rock. Right. And, and my dad listened to Frank Sinatra <laughs> and Michael Bublé and Elvis <laughs> Presley. Um, <sighs> also, Scotty knows every fucking song in the world. I'm convinced of it. Because every time we go anywhere, like for dinner mm-hmm. or we're at Walmart and there's music playing, he knows every song that comes on and I do not know <laughs> What is this? I never had a variety of music growing up. <laughs> I'm not sure if we've mentioned this, guys, but if you are not familiar with Alyssa and I, um, Scotty, who we are referring to as my brother, and Alyssa's fiance, baby daddy, whatever you want to call him. So that's how Alyssa and I are connected. Yes. Um, but Scotty, you know, knows a lot of the same music I do because we grew up with our father. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, Nirvana was considered to be the flagship band of Generation X, and Kurt found himself anointed by the media as the Generation's spokesman, which he despised. Why? Kurt did not want to be famous. Uh, uh, He wanted to make money making music, but he did not like being in the spotlight. He didn't like doing interviews. He didn't like the press. Like... It just wasn't for him. So he wanted to just, like, play a show and, like, write albums, and that's it? Yeah. He he, he hated the media. I guess I can understand that, because yeah. the media is so evil anyways. Yeah. Um, he felt persecuted by them, um, and he started harboring resentment against people who claimed to be fans of Nirvana, yet refused to acknowledge the band's social and political views, which they had very strong social and political views, which right. I will go into. Um, Kurt was obviously a vocal appoint, um, opponent of sexism, mm-hmm. racism, and homophobia. Um, he was a vocal supporter of the pro-choice movement as well. And Nirvana was involved in L7's Rock for Choice campaign in the 90s. Um, what he, is that? It was a campaign rock concert I guess, benefiting pro-choice. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so he was big on pro-choice. For that, he received death threats from anti-abortion activists for participating in the pro-choice campaign. Sounds about right. Imagine being pro-choice, but leaving death threats to kill someone. (laughs) Like, come on now. (laughs) I didn't even think about that. (laughs) You know? Well, he's not a baby, so. I've met a lot of anti-abortionists. Um, are also for the death penalty. Right. Which makes no sense, but okay. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess there's Like, difference. either choose life or, you know, don't. Like, which one is it? I choose both. <laughs> <laughs> some people deserve to die. Mm-hmm, I mean, IMO. And then some people deserve But to I don't live. think because you're pro-choice you deserve to die. Oh, definitely not. But yeah, one of the activists threatened to shoot Cobain as soon as he stepped on the stage. I'm so pro or pro life. I'm gonna shoot you because you're pro choice. <laughs> Fuck these people. <sighs> I hate that. Like, if you're gonna be on one side of the fence, stick to that side of the fence. Exactly. Like, don't don't. So, because you don't support what I support, you know, I'm shooting you for the life of these babies. I don't know. Like, this doesn't for the life of these babies. <laughs> <laughs> don't know it's stupid it's stupid um 
So Kurt's artwork that we discussed earlier, it followed a lot of the same subjects of his lyrics. Um, He often expressed a very dark sense of humor, which I also adore. Right. Um, Well, I think most people who are in artistic yeah yeah. kind of do i know i can have a dark sense of humor well clearly we both do (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) Uh, so there are differing opinions on where and when exactly kurt met his future wife courtney courtney (laughs) (laughs) courtney was the front woman of the alternative rock band hole probably never heard of that one she needs to be in a hole yeah exactly and no i've never heard of that (laughs) i'm just you just think she should be in a hole (laughs) yeah i mean she's a fucking pos okay at least you know that much i know the story okay i do know this whole story i just don't know much about the backstory and like who kurt cobain was i know the conspiracy i know he's not super familiar with the music and exactly like i know the story i can tell you the story i just can't tell you the music (laughs) yeah gotcha murder interests me more than the music oh god you're i'm making you listen to nirvana (laughs) okay (laughs) so it was either 89 or 90 when you met courtney um so when they very first met courtney made advances but kurt was just kind of standoffish um, it was said that, you know, a lot of women wanted Kurt. Of know? course. He was a beautiful man. He was a musician, you know. Yeah. He was super popular. But he didn't see that, you know. Like, he was completely obliv- oblivious to the fact that all these women wanted him. Um, Which is so good because I feel like a lot of times when people become famous, it goes to their head. Exactly. And it was not like that with him. That is so good. He was not like a... Egotistical. Uh, not at all. Yeah. Not at all. He was a just narcissistic, a soft, yeah. like, sweet, broken person, you know? Um, so Courtney made a lot of advances, but he was just kind of oblivious to the whole thing. Um, early in their interactions, he actually broke off several dates and ignored her advances because he wasn't sure if he wanted a relationship. Well, he should have continued to do I that know, forever. I know. Um, he just kind of wanted to live that bachelor life, you know? Um, by late 1991, they were often together, and sadly, they bonded through their drug use. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Some say that Courtney was the one that turned Kurt onto, onto heroin, mm-hmm. um, but this eventually smoked, snowballed into a full-blown addiction for him. Wow. Um, Kurt suffered for most of his life with chronic bronchitis, and intense pain due to an undiagnosed stomach condition. So he okay, was, I know about this part. Yeah, he yeah. was constantly in pain. Poor mm-hmm. baby. Um, his drug use was said to have begun as self-medicating to take away his stomach pain. Um, he's also reported to have suffered from clinical depression and bipolar disorder. Yeah, I knew about both of those too. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, I, I n- no excuse for being a heroin addict, but... I have always said I do understand how people can become addicts when you suffer from chronic pain. I get it. I, but heroin? I, <laughs> no, I know. You know, but I, I've known people addicted to pills and things yeah, like that. Yeah, but pills and heroin are so different. Well, like they are. But when I think of, like, people who, and if, okay, if you're listening and you do heroin or have done heroin or, <laughs> sorry. or have done that, if you've ever been an addict to a harder drug like that, um... I am not discrediting your struggle. I uh, 
salute you for if you came clean or if you're struggling to come clean and you want to i more power to you uh i just like whenever i think of people like that i just i'm like what like if somebody were to offer me meth, I would be like, oh, no. Right. You know what I mean? I mean, I guess if you're... I, I think in that particular scene, though, it just kind of like comes with the territory. You know what I mean? You're a rock star, star in the 90s. You do heroin. No, and... you do cocaine. <laughs> you don't do heroin. I don't know. It was a popular thing back then, and, and it still is. You oh, know? I know. I know. It's sad. I just don't, I just don't get the whole, like... You know exactly what heroin heroin can do to you. You know exactly what meth can do to you. Mm -hmm. I just can't ever see myself being like, yeah, I'm going to try meth today. Right. Or Mm -hmm. someone offered it to me just being like, yeah, sure. I will Everybody's different, you you know. Some people, I mean, all it takes is that one time, you know. (sighs) It's so sad. It is sad. Don't do drugs, guys. Don't, please. We love you. Just smoke your weed. (laughs) Um, so, anyway, um, February 24th, 1992, Kurt and Courtney were married in Hawaii. What? <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> Again. Excuse me. <coughs> Kurt wore a purse and green flannel pajamas. Me too. <laughs> Same. <laughs> so, at this time, Courtney was already pregnant, and Frances being Cobain, which if you guys have not seen her, she's just gorgeous, and she's the spitting image of her father. I think that's who my niece is named after. Yeah, Francis. Yes, yeah. I love it so much. I know uh, her boyfriend really likes Nirvana, so. Yeah, I love it. I love it. When you said that was her name, I was like, oh. Francis, yeah. So, <laughs> I didn't so even precious. remember that till you just said that. Yeah. So, Francis was born on August 18th, 1992. A sonogram of the couple's as um, unborn baby was included in the artwork for Nirvana's single, Lithium. Side note, Courtney admitted to using heroin while pregnant with Francis. Oh, what a lovely, classy lady. Yes. So, well, we all know this. Um, CPS <laughs> ended up taking uh, Francis, and it was a battle to get her back. I did um, not know that. You didn't know that? Mm-mm. I believe, I want to say I read that. It was like the first month of Frances's life. She was uh, in temporary CPS custody. So. I wonder if they tested for drugs. Probably. Well, I did read that there was speculation that she may have been born addicted to heroin. Oh, uh, yeah. But then I read that Courtney claimed it was only at the beginning of her pregnancy before she knew she was pregnant. Of course she would claim that. But I so. feel like with an addiction like heroin, that's not something you could just be like, well, well I stopped. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, um, prior to a performance at the New Music Seminar in New York City in July 1993, Kurt overdosed on heroin. Rather than calling for an ambulance, Courtney injected him with a drug to bring him back to consciousness. He proceeded to perform with Nirvana, giving the public every indication that everything was business as usual. Wow. I believe that was his first overdose. Wait. What drug did she give him? I'm not sure. I think there is some sort of drug you can give people if they're overdosing and it brings them back. Where the fuck do you get that? I've heard of it. I can't remember the name of it, but, like, it is a thing. Wow. Yeah. Can you imagine overdosing on heroin and then getting injected with something and then still performing like nothing happened? Yes. Wow. (sighs) So, um, following a tour stop at Terminal Eins in Munich, Munich. How do you say that, Germany? Oh, I don't, uh, know. don't know. I'm familiar with this particular area, but I don't know how to say it. 
Munich, whatever, okay, Germany, on March 1st, 1994, Cobain was diagnosed with bronchitis and severe laryngitis. He flew to Rome the next day for medical treatment, and Courtney came to visit two days later. The next morning, Courtney wakes up to find that Kurt had overdosed on a com- combination of champagne and rehypnol. Rehypnol is the date rape, date rape drug. And from what I read, they were doing this together. So it wasn't like, I'm going to try to, like, kill myself. It was like, we're doing this to have fun. I didn't know that that was used recreationally. I literally thought that was only used for date rape. Date Date rape. rape. Date rape. Yeah, date rape. Okay. Yeah. So he was rushed to the hospital and was unconscious for the rest of the day. Wow. After five days in the hospital, he was released and returned to Seattle. Courtney later stated that this was Kurt's first attempted suicide, but this is a bit controversial as many fans believe that this was an attempt by Courtney to poison Kurt. See, (laughs) that's what I was about to say, is it seems more like she would have given that to him, right? Right. And if they were doing it together when she have had some in her system maybe she gave him too much you know goodness i don't know but like why well there's a lot to this okay so on march 18th 1994 courtney called seattle police telling them that kurt was suicidal and had locked himself into a room with a gun police arrived and compensated confiscated several guns and a bottle of pills from him but Kurt insisted that he was not suicidal and that he had locked himself in the room to hide from Courtney yeah poor baby Um, so on March 30th 1994 he reluctantly agreed to undergo a detox program in LA the staff at the facility were unaware of his history of uh, depression and prior attempts at suicide And when he was visited by friends, there was no indication to them that he was in any negative or suicidal state of mind. He spent the day talking to counselors about his drug abuse and personal problems, happily playing with his daughter, Frances. Unfortunately, this was the last time he ever saw Frances. Well, I will say that I believe in the conspiracy with this, Mm -hmm. but I do know... um, there's this person that I followed on Instagram for a long time who struggled with, um, he was a public figure Mm -hmm. and he struggled with, um, you know, suicidal thoughts and, uh, just really bad depression. Mm -hmm. He was married with two kids and, um, he committed suicide, but like the wife was like, I like, like she posted a video of them at their uh, son's like uh, baseball game and mm-hmm. he was just like twirling his son around um, just having a good time and he's laughing and smiling and you know just everything seems perfect in the world mm-hmm. and then like three hours later she finds him yeah. dead because he committed suicide well, so I mean like some people really can't hide it very well yeah well absolutely and I feel like it's like that in most cases like people that commit suicide don't generally say I'm gonna commit suicide yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, you just gotta find them. A lot of times you... What? <laughs> you just gotta find them. You just gotta find I mean, I'm just saying, like, they don't really give warning. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, you're right. It is, um... that That's the thing that with this that um, I feel like makes it so controversial is mm-hmm. because 
you know that you don't always have signs of mm-hmm. you know suicide mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. like you're about to attempt it or whatever mm-hmm. so currently he's you know at this facility in LA this detox program and the following night he walks outside to have a cigarette and he climbs over a six foot high fence and leaves the facility <laughs> He's I like, didn't know that. Peace the fuck out. I'm out of here. Um, early in, earlier in the day, he had joked about what a stupid thing it would be to attempt climbing this fence. Oh, And okay. this motherfucker did it. I hope he grabbed his pink purse. <laughs> his green flannel pajamas. He's probably wearing them when he jumped over the fence. <laughs> so he then took a taxi to L.A. Um, or Los Angeles airport and flew back home to Seattle. On April 2nd and April 3rd, he was spotted in numerous locations around Seattle. On April 3rd, Courtney hired private investigator Tom Grant to find Kurt. Keep Tom Grant in mind. He's very important in this story. Um, Kurt was not seen the next day. Excuse me. On April 8th, Cobain's body was discovered at his Seattle home's greenhouse by an electrician who had been hired to install a security system. Apart from a minor amount of blood coming out of his ear, the electrician reported seeing no visible signs of trauma and initially believed that Kurt was asleep until he saw the shotgun pointing at his chin. A, and I quote, because this is a very, um, maybe, maybe not, I quote, suicide note was found addressed to Cobain's childhood imaginary friend, Boda. Wait, let me stop you real fast. Mm -hmm. Okay. Graphic. Was his face blown off? Uh, Okay, so I believe initially it was reported that he, like, shot himself through his chin. With a shotgun? Correct, which this is a whole nother, you know, there's, you know, controversy about that, conspiracy about that. Then I actually read that it was in his mouth. But, like I said, this guy didn't really see any blood except for something coming out of his ear. So, I guess maybe, you know, looking through the window or whatever he's looking through, he's like, this dude's sleeping. And then he sees a little bit of blood. Mm -hmm. So, clearly, it wasn't like a messy crime scene. You know what I mean? Which, I know shotguns give a pretty big blast. Yeah. Yeah. I know there's controversy with that, too. But I just feel like that's such an obvious thing. Now, I did read that it was a very low-powered shotgun. So, I don't know anything about guns, do you? No, okay. no, really don't. So, um, like I said, a um, quote, <coughs> quote, suicide note mm-hmm. was found next to his body. Um, and it was addressed to his childhood imaginary friend, Boda. And it stated that he had, quote, not felt the excitement of listening to as well as creating music along with really writing for too many years now. Okay. So the suicide note is a little bit fishy in my eyes because it doesn't sound like a suicide note. To me, it sounds almost like a note saying like I'm leaving music or I'm leaving Nirvana. Right. You know, it doesn't sound like I'm leaving this earth or just like if it were continued, like, you know, I need to find my spark again or something like that. Well, it is a long, um, suicide note and I'll get a little bit more into that, but, um, it was confirmed that um, Nirvana was talking about breaking up at the same time. 
So gotcha. that makes sense. Like, yeah. I'm just not really feeling it anymore. Like, sorry, right. guys. You know. Um, so a high concentration of heroin, like a crazy concentration of heroin, um, were found in his were found in his body along with di- diazepam, which I'm not exactly sure what that is. <clears throat> I think that might be a benzo. Maybe. I think so. Yeah, it sounds like it. But like I don't I I may have it a little bit further in my notes. I do. Um, but the amount of heroin in his body was insane. Right. Like most people or pretty much anybody would not be able to function with that much heroin in their body. Right. Even a very heavy user. Um, so it was estimated that Cobain's body had been lying there for many days and the coroner's report estimated that he died on April 5th, 1994. He was, was he found again? Um, on the 8th. So he had been there a few days. Okay. Um, he was 27. The death of Kurt has been a topic of public fascination, debate, and conspiracy theories. Um, there have been many books, movies, documentaries, um, all exploring other explanations mm-hmm. other than suicide for his untimely death. Um, allegedly, the police, Cobain's bandmates... Um, they all accept the official verdict, verdict of suicide, um, though several of his friends and family and even several professionals have their doubts. Right. Um, it's said that he had taken heroin shortly before killing himself and drug paraphernalia was found next to his body. Um, but postmortem tests found a very high level of the drug in his body, 1.52 milligrams per liter of blood. Not super familiar exactly, like, what that means, but it, it sounds like a was lot. a lot. <laughs> um, it has been hypothesized by those that don't believe he committed suicide that this would be so much heroin that he would not have been able to hold the gun and pull the trigger. Well, that sounds about right to me. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, heroin addicts, like, when they are super, like, doped up, usually they're, like, slumped over, like, can't hardly function, mm-hmm. like... You know what I mean? Have you ever seen, like, on Intervention? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, they, like, are out of it. It's not an upper. How would you have, like, the coordination? You know what I mean? If you Mm -hmm. had taken so much heroin, you know? Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, they hypothesized that he wouldn't have even been able to hold that gun and pull the trigger to do that. Plus, why would you blow your head off when you were in, like, the best high you've ever been in? You know what I mean? You're not in a low place. Heroin's like supposed to make you like happy like mm-hmm. you know it's like you euf- euphoric right. so i don't know but i and guess heroin depend- is a downer right is it i don't know i don't know There's maybe another- we should google that but i feel like it's supposed to make you feel good so if you're feeling good why would you com- commit suicide <clears throat> you're feeling um, so good that you're just like mm, you know just out of it dude i don't know so. i don't think you would unless you just were so out of your mind that you, I mean because I feel like if you are under such a euphoric influence you really mm-hmm. could be like what could make this better killing <laughs> myself yeah I don't know <laughs> it just sounds bogus to me I mean I do too I feel like if you are that fucking high first of all I feel like probably that in and of itself could kill him exactly you know I mean? exactly um <clears throat> how other other expert 
Esperance. I'm gonna Google that real fast just so you know. Yeah, see see I, I believe it is it's supposed to make you feel good and yeah. euphoric and let us know. Um other experts say that this would depend on how much tolerance he had built to the heroin, but I just still I think it's so much that you probably wouldn't even be functioning. Yeah. Um it's also been suggested that it would have been nearly impossible for him to shoot himself in the head with a long barrel shotgun. It is a downer, by the way. It is a downer. But how does it make you feel? Well, I mean, it. I'm sure it makes you feel good, but you know, like, meth and cocaine are, like, uppers, uppers and they make you, like, really hyper. I think it just depends on... I think when it when it's, like, a downer, it means, like, not mentally, but, like, physically. Like, it you know, slows you down. a downer, and it slows well, you down yeah it just makes you yeah you know more chill yeah and not so like i'm gonna punch a fucking hole into the wall but it's still i mean yeah downer still can make you feel good it makes you know? i mean alcohol makes people feel good right and right. um benzos clearly xanax, he did it because it made him feel good yeah xanax you know I mean? makes you feel good and that's also a downer exactly yeah so um, so, um, it's also been suggested that he did not write the suicide notes or that it didn't refer to suicide, but Cobain's plans to either leave Courtney Love or put Nirvana, Nirvana on a hiatus. Wasn't it written in two different handwriting? Yes. Okay. If you look at the note, it's pretty suspicious. Okay, like, yeah. the first part is definitely Kurt. Mm-hmm. The bottom's kind of like, mm. <laughs> yeah, a little bit fishy. Right. Um, so Tom Grant, remember? Yes. Talked about him earlier. The PI. He was the PI that was hired by Courtney to find Kurt. Um, <laughs> he is a leading proponent of murder theories, and he claims to have found a, quote, handwriting practice sheet from Love from Courtney Love's handbag, which shows that she had been practicing faking Cobain's handwriting. So they don't think that he was involved with the murder? Who? That Tom? Tom? Yeah. Oh, no. Tom is, like, adamant that Courtney did it. And he was the PI she hired? Yes. Okay. Oh, he turned on her, like, totally. Okay. 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 Yeah, yeah. There's several movies that he's, you know, been in. And For some reason, documentaries. I was kind of under the impression that she may have hired him. him. No. Okay. No, 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 no. Okay, that makes sense. He's, like, very, like, Courtney did it. Right. So. Wow. Um... A couple of journalists, journalists, Ian Halperin and Max Wallace, published their investigation of a possible conspiracy surrounding Kurt's death in 99. Um, Their book was called Who Killed Kurt Cobain? Halperin and Wallace argued that while there was not enough evidence to prove a conspiracy, there was more than enough evidence to demand demand that the case be reopened. Um, (laughs) Agreed. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Um, so, and then, um, 1998, there was a documentary called Kurt and Courtney, um, produced by Nick Broomfield and he investigated Tom Grant again, mm-hmm. uh, Tom Grant's claim that Cobain was actually murdered. The general theory by Tom Grant and others appeared to be that Courtney found out that Kurt was planning to divorce her, cut her from his will and leave her. As a result, she allegedly hired a hitman who rendered him comatose with an in- injection of heroin and then shot him dead, possibly for his money or to prevent him from leaving. It is suggested that the Seattle police collaborated to cover up the true murderer. 
I wonder if he had a, a life insurance policy. He did. I read that also. And from what I understand, he had taken her off of it or was planning to take her off of it or maybe never put her on it. I don't know. But for whatever reason, he never signed it. So she didn't get the money. I don't think so. Don't quote me on that. So that if if he didn't. I mean, she had plenty of money on her own. You know what I mean? Uh, like, yeah, but you know how greedy and addicts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They could never have enough. Right. Um. So, this particular filmmaker took the film crew to visit a number of people associated with Kurt and Courtney. Mm-hmm. Um, love uh, Courtney's father, Kurt's aunt, and one of the couple's former nannies. Broomfield also spoke to the mentors band leader, Eldon. L. Deuce Hoke, who claimed that Courtney offered him $50,000 to kill Kurt. Um, that's, um... Yeah, that's kind of a big deal, right? Yeah. <laughs> Check this shit out. Okay. So, although he claimed to have known who killed Cobain, he failed to mention a name and offered no evidence to su- support this. Okay? Okay. So he says, well, she offered me 50 grand to do it, but I do know who did it. It wasn't me, but it was you know, somebody else. That I'm not going to name. Right. Exactly. So, um, <clears throat> strangely enough, guess who dies a few days later? <gasps> that guy you just said his name, mm-hmm. but I don't remember it. El Deuce. El Deuce. <laughs> yep. He died just a few days later, reportedly hit by a train. He was laying on the train tracks drunk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would like to know more about El Deuce. Yeah, and like what kind of a drinker he was if he He was kinda known as like a like a kind of a yeah, like kind of a bad guy, kind of a partier and yeah. you know, just kinda of rough around the edges. If Courtney did do it. Then she's literally taking people's, like, weaknesses and mm-hmm. using it against them. Like, Absolutely. Kurt with his heroin. And then La Deuce, or whatever. El Deuce. El Deuce. Yeah. And using alcohol against him. Like, that is so fucked up. Right. Um, okay, so then there's another movie, which I've seen all of these, by the way. Soaked in Bleach is actually one that I own. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a 2015 American docudrama um, directed by Benjamin Statler. This film details the events leading up to the death of Kurt as seen through the perspective of Tom Grant. Gotcha. Um, it also explores the premise that Kurt's death was not a suicide. Mm-hmm. So that's another good one to watch if you have any interest, folks. Okay. Um, so, huh, this is also pretty good. So, Courtney's estranged father mm-hmm. is reported as saying, no doubt she was capable. I can't prove that she was the one that pulled the trigger, but I can prove her involvement involvement to a high degree of certainty. This is her own father. This um, is her birth father. Yeah. If your dad can say that about you, you're probably a pretty shitty person. Right. Um, many fans of Nirvana and, you know, Kurt are obviously extremely hostile towards Courtney. Well, I feel not, like anybody that's a fan hates her. I'm not even a fan and I fucking hate oh, her. It's so obvious to me that she was involved in some way shape or form and and i'm not one to say oh she did it i think she was involved Mm -hmm. um if he did not commit suicide i know you know as as fans we all want to think like oh he wouldn't have done that you know what i mean um you always 
you know, if your favorite artist was said to commit suicide, you know, you'd be like, no, no, there's no way. Oh, if my favorite artist committed suicide, I would be like, yeah. Really? Probably right. <laughs> Who's your favorite artist? Uh, you wouldn't know him. Wouldn't know him? Yeah, you wouldn't know him. Oh. For sure. Okay. Just curious. We have very different eras of music. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Um, so according to a spokesperson for the Seattle Police Department, the department to this day receives at least one weekly request to reopen the investigation. I mean, people 25 years later are still just like... So it's definitely closed as uh, a suicide? Yeah, yeah. Good grief. I wonder what... um, I imagine so. Like, people still are pissed about this. You know what I mean? Yeah. In so many of these cases, like, the investigations were just shit, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, ugh. So, um, Kurt is obviously one of the best-known members of the 27 Club. Are you familiar with the 27 Club? Is it the white lighter in the bucket? Yeah, that has something to do with it. But it's, like, all the musicians who died when they were 27. Yeah. Like, it's a huge thing. And like, they all had the white lighter in the bucket. Did they all have the white I lighter? I think so. At all know. of them? I, I know what you're talking about, but... Yeah. <clears throat> well, that's why I've always heard it's bad luck to have a white lighter. Yeah, that's... Yeah. I know Kurt had a white lighter. Yeah. For sure. So maybe they all did. I don't know. That That's really creepy. That's very creepy. I'm going to have to look that up. Okay. If they all had a fucking white lighter... Do you want me to look it up? Sure. Okay. I'll do that while you keep talking. Okay. Yeah. Um, So in 2005, a sign was put up in Aberdeen um, where Kurt was raised, and it reads, Welcome to Aberdeen. Come as you are. I would love nothing more than just to go to Aberdeen just to get a picture by that. Yeah. I want to visit his home, too, but they've got that shit, like, high security, like, you can't get there. But I'm sure Aberdeen has, like... A lot of stuff, you know, kind of. <clears throat> what are you finding? Um, let's see here. I'm looking at Snopes. Okay. It says, oh, um, that it's false. <clears throat> so, no, it wasn't found in everybody's pocket. Oh, wait, this is saying, like, oh, that was asking if it was just bad luck because it's the white lighter. It does say the white lighter curse or white lighter myth is an urban legend based on the 27 Club in which it is claimed several musicians and artists died while in possession of a white lighter, leading white lighters to become associated with bad fortune. Okay. But I don't know if all All of of them them. had it. It doesn't really say. Gotcha. Well, I guess none of us I mean, unless another investigation's done, unless the investigations open back up, we'll never know 100%. You know what I mean? Yeah. Unfortunately, Kurt's the only one that knows, or if there was another person involved, then they know. He may not have even known he was about to die if he had that much heroin in his system. I know. Conspiracies are always going to fly, and uh, anybody, like I said, who's a huge fan will always have their doubts, or people that aren't huge fans. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, I guess in closing... I'll just say that he will forever live on in his fans' hearts. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> it sucks, man. He should still be around to this day. 
you know, who, who even knows if he would have still been doing music. He probably wouldn't. He hated, you know, just the publicity from it. <laughs> or he may have taken like a hiatus for yeah. a while. And, or yeah. maybe not even came back as Nirvana, but, you know, yeah. came back as something different. It makes you wonder, too, like, would Nirvana have been such a huge thing had he not died? Yeah. You know, unfortunately, the sad reality is when people die, that's when they get popular yeah. and famous yeah everybody loves you when you're dead <laughs> you know? yeah, unfortunately so. anyway i hope you guys enjoyed our stories um that's i guess the closing of episode three part one and two you so. know what's weird about that is literally on my way to your house i was thinking about kurt cobain and his conspiracy mm-hmm. and i was trying to remember if he you know quote unquote killed himself in a greenhouse mm-hmm. like I was trying to think mm-hmm. about whether that was a true fact or not mm-hmm. I really feel like I mean I've known from the start that you're a huge fan of Kurt Cobain and uh, I don't feel like there's a better person to tell that story than you so no. <laughs> that's my man's well there you have it folks yep. I'm glad I got to cover that one there will be another famous person who I love coming later, so. (laughs) I'm sure anybody who knows you can guess. (laughs) (laughs) Anybody that knows me could guess. Most definitely my two favorite (laughs) celebs. Yeah, I can. (laughs) Thank you for listening. And for God's sake, don't drink the Jones juice.